BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Tom Curran, and this is Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. On today's podcast, you'll also hear the voice of Phil A. Perry. That's me. And Phil and I will go through our end-of-decade Patriots All-Decade teams. Yeah. So pull up a chair or the front seat of your car or just keep jogging on that treadmill because we're going to get to all of it right now. All right, folks, do you work at a place where um, when a holiday comes or a vacation comes, they tell you, you know what, you're going to have to do some work before your vacation comes. So it's like you get the vacation, you get the quote-unquote day off, which we will get on Christmas, um, but you have to still generate something for the day off. So it's, it's, it's the nature of the business. The, you take the good with the bad, we get free lunch uh, in the press box, which you don't uh, have a press box at your job. Um, but this is one of those things where, hey, you know, we got to do a little extra. So we're going to do a little extra. Uh, All-decade team, ladies and gentlemen. This also got lobbed at us, uh, but we're happy to do it because it actually becomes kind of fun after you get done with the eye-rolling about, oh, great, we have to do an all-decade team now. So let's get after it. Phil did the offense. I did the defense. Phil, which side of the ball do you think we should start with? Let's start with the defense. Let's get after it. Folks, I went with a 4-2-5 alignment. 425, 425, 425. Okay, I like that. That's so, a nickel. I'm going to let you run the show on this. You ask me, I'll tell you. Let's start where it all starts every week. It's in the trenches. You have four defensive linemen based on your alignment that you've told us about. I have to assume that your number two player among the 50 players of the Bill Belichick era that you put together a couple summers ago, which probably. Could be adjusted since then, but your number two guy was Vince Wilfork. He mm-hmm. has to be on your list. Vince Wilfork is one of my two defensive tackles. He's a layup. The other guy's going to surprise you, but Vince, please don't ever forget how friggin' good he was. Uh, just to give you a quick aside, 2010 to 2014, and he missed most of 2013 with an injury. Um, Vince played all 16 in every year. He also, during that period of time, he had two picks, 13 passes defense, four forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries, and eight and a half sacks. He was not just one of the best defensive linemen in the league, but in 10, 11, and 12, he's one of the best players. 2012, he was an all-pro. That's easy. Phil, the other defensive tackle, ends up being Lawrence Guy. Oh? And I just couldn't see who beats him out. At the end of this decade, you have a guy who is... Um, in his third season with the team, 58 tackles in his, uh, and 59 in his first two seasons here. He's going to have another 58-59 tackle season. He's got 52 right now. Um, he has a presence in the run game. Patriots have been pr- 
pretty good to real good against the run in uh, 17, 18, and 19. And he has been the most stabilizing force up there. The only other guy who could have challenged was Alan Branch. And Lawrence Guy has been steadier, more productive, and won more Super Bowls. He has been steadier, more consistent for sure. Alan Branch would occasionally flash because he's such a large human with such long arms and just drive people back and dominate. But Lawrence Guy, I love this pick because he is, we do our prototypical Patriots series leading up to the draft. He is a prototypical Patriot in the way he plays. Quiet, but Dominant at times against the run. Takes on a lot of double teams. He's not a huge man. Patriots usually like to have 320-pound guys in the spots where Lawrence Guy plays. He's 300 even. He might be 310 now. But he's more of a five technique who they asked to play three technique or nose tackle occasionally. And he holds up in there. Big, strong guy. I actually like this pick. Well, uh, who else you got on the on the front there? We're going to be looking at some some edge guys, I would imagine. Yeah, we'll take this opportunity as well to remind you that. The easier of the two defensive end positions to select was Rob Ninkovich. Biggest plays of Super Bowl Forty Nine, obviously defensively, were Malcolm Butler and Dante Hightower. But there was an eight-yard sack by Ninkovich on a third and seven early in the fourth that set up the Patriots' consecutive touchdown drives. They had been having a difficult time getting off the field prior to that, and he also had a run stuff on a third and two inside the ten-yard line earlier in the game, forcing. Seattle to settle for a field goal. Besides those big plays in big games, he was out there all the time. Only in his final season with the team in 2016 did he miss any games. 2010 through 2015 played every single one of uh, 17 games. He had 469 tackles and another 66 and six sacks in 17 postseason games. He was easy. This was harder, though. When it came down to the other defensive end position, Phil... I had Chandler Jones and Trey Flowers standing there in front of me. I know where I'm going. That's not that hard for me. Where would you go? I'm going with the man they called Technique, or the GOAT even occasionally, in jest, Trey Flowers. Got to be Flowers. I went there as well. Um, And here's where the the rubber hit the road with these two. Um, Played almost as many games as each other. Uh, 46 regular season games for Flowers, 55 for Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones had 36 sacks, 21 for Flowers in those nine fewer games. But check it out in the playoffs. Both of them played nine playoff games. Flowers had 39 tackles, five and a half sacks, eight tackles for loss. Chandler Jones in the nine playoff games, 18 tackles, two sacks. Flowers was such a big game player. He had one of the plays, you talk about Ninkovich's underrated sack, Flowers had an underrated sack in the Falcons game. Mm-hmm. Pushed them back early, early. Well, and, yeah, and late, mean, like early in the yeah, um, early in the comeback. He uh, he was. Am I wrong? No, I. He was one of their. He was honestly in a year last year that was dominated by the Patriots defense. Maybe outside of Stephon Gilmore, he was arguably their best defensive player. So I like that pick. Uh, let's go to the uh, the next level there, the linebacker level. So this is only a two-man unit for you. Yep. So that meant a, a few good players had to get lopped off. Mm. Um, but I went with two guys who are longtime buddies, who are pets of Bill Belichick in many ways, and it's Dante Hightower and Gerard Mayo. Mm. Start with Hightower. Hightower has played since 17 under either Nick Saban or Bill Belichick. you got a smart guy to begin with. Intelligent, intuitive 
great communicator, um, all of those things, inquisitive. And then you put him with two of the most intelligent football coaches of all time next to one of the most intelligent teammates and coaches in Gerard Mayo, and you have a guy who is just big brain in it all over the place. But what's cool about him is such a throwback player in terms of when it has to get physical and violent, he can do that. And he can be a pass rusher. He can be a run stopper. He can absolutely be a defensive enforcer, and he's the brain of the defense, and we saw that all decade long. Hightower in, good Patriots defense. Hightower out, not as good. We saw that. You're right, 100%. 2017 is a great example of that. Um, and, and the performances, talk about Flowers having big game performances, 2014 Super Bowl, 2016 Super Bowl, 2018 Super Bowl, physically dominant player in the middle of the field for the Patriots. And has the last two years... Knock on wood for Patriots fans everywhere, but but been much more durable. So there's something about his game, or the way he prepares, or how he's handled his body that that has been working for him the last two seasons because he's been out there and they've been great. Mayo, Mayo alongside. Mayo alongside. The like reason for that is people probably have forgotten a little bit because he did finish his final three seasons with the Patriots on IR. And he never really got to be a huge part of Super Bowl wins. But when we're talking about singular brilliance on the defensive side of the ball by any player, there's what Stephon Gilmore has done this year. And then there's what Gerard Mayo did from 10, 2010 through 2012. 2010, he led the NFL in tackles with 170, 175. And he had 114 solos. That led the league. Um, also had three fumble recoveries that year. And then 2012... He was a pro bowler. Um, he was all pro in 2010. 2012, he was a pro bowler with 147 tackles. Um, so this is a guy who was just absurdly productive at the linebacker level. He could cover. He obviously could stop the run. Um, it was not a talented defense around him. We saw how permissive they could be. He was bringing guys along frequently in the defense around him. There was not a good secondary behind him at that point until the Patriots in 2012 said, screw this, let's go get some big shutdown corners no matter what it takes. But from 2010 to 2012, he was it. Van Noy gets passed over despite two Super Bowl wins that he has figured in, 16 and 18. And Jamie Collins gets passed over as well. Uh, Van Noy was really the harder one to pass over because of what he has done. But I I just think that um, Mayo was league-wide dominant in 2010, 11, and 12. With you there. No okay. argument from me so far. So you have five players left. we got five guys in the secondary we got to run through here. Stephon Gilmore is easy on one corner. Easy. Devin McCourty's a layup at safety. Easy. Other safeties easier to Patrick Chung. Agreed. So that I mean, who else are you going to have there at strong safety? Nobody. I mean, nobody. Nobody. 470 tackles for the Patriots Brandon since Merriweather. he's returned. Since he's returned 470 tackles, and he returned in 2014. Um, Let's get into the interesting ones then, and that's cornerback, and that's the other cornerback. I went with Malcolm Butler. So you got Butler and Gilmore. Not a bad duo. And Aqib Tlaib is my other corner. Mm. Butler, Tlaib, and um, so the guys I'm passing over here are Jason McCourty, Logan Ryan, and Darrell Rivas. No Darrell Rivas is the one that stands out to me. Only one year, but... 
I remember you making the argument for Darrell Rivas as MVP that season. Oh, God. Really? Maybe. I guess. Great defense. Well, it made that defense better after 2013. Uh, great defense. <clears throat> I probably made that argument prior to the Super Bowl when he was victimized. Look, what, he wasn't really victimized that much, though. He gave up, I think, like a one-yard touchdown. A touchdown. To, give a shit. Well, he was picked by an official. It happened. No. I but mean, then, you had to, look, you had to make a decision. And Aqib Tlaib, in 2012, when the Patriots grabbed him um, on Halloween, they got a player who was still suspended one more game when they got him. But after they brought him aboard, this Patriots defense went from an embarrassment that it had been from the Lee Bodden years um, in 2008, 9, 10, and 11, where they just couldn't cover. And they finally said, screw it. Let's just, I know he's a pain in the ass, but let's go get him. How dare you slander Sterling Moore that way? I like Sterling Moore. He was a good dude, but it's not, he's not all world. <laughs> and there's a difference there. I mean, the, the, the Logan Ryan, Kyle Arrington, Sterling Moore, Devin McCourty style, okay corner is one thing. You know, they were an acquired taste. And that includes McCourty, who had an all pro year or a Pro Bowl year, I think, or second-team All-Pro as a rookie, yeah. and then just fell off the friggin' planet as a cornerback after that. The Aqib Tlaib, Darrell Rivas, Stephon Gilmore, and throw Butler in there as well, were unmistakable great cover guys who jumped off the page. And as a result, that's Aqib Tlaib wins out um, because he was kind of the forerunner there. When the Patriots lost him in the AFC Championship game against the Ravens when he re-aggravated a groin injury, Score was 28-10 to 10 after he left. Patriots were up 3 uh, nothing when he got hurt. Um, only twice in the preceding 10 games had they allowed more than 20 points to a team. Uh, next year, taken out by Wes Welker in the dirtiest play that Bill Belichick has ever seen. We get that audio? <laughs> I think we do. Skullcrush is going to drop that audio in. I was asked about the hit on Tlaib. Um, and I feel bad really for Akeeb. Uh, the way that play turned out, I went back and watched it, which I didn't have a chance to do yesterday. Um, there's a deliberate play by the receiver to take out a keep. No attempt to get open. Um, and I'll let the league handle the discipline on that play. It's not for me to decide, but it's one of the worst plays I've seen. Uh, you remember that, folks. Um, so then... He's taken out of that game, and the Patriots get croaked. They would have gotten croaked anyway, but it certainly didn't help. Malcolm Butler makes it because he made the most momentous play in Patriots history, and that includes, if you ask me, the Vinatieri kicks in the snow and whatever else you can come up with. Just shouldn't have happened. What happened shouldn't have happened, and it happened. He made it happen. And And that win is just so massive this decade. That is the validation Super Bowl. So um, I like your list. I do like your list. Now, pro Bowler in 15, second team All-Pro in 16 for Malcolm. I think people forget that, too. People forget, and I think he was actually better in 15 than he was in 16, but people forget that part of it. It was more than, well, he had a great pick to win them a Super Bowl, and then he really kind of never lived up because 2017 was a disappointing year for him, the Super Bowl decision that year notwithstanding he just was not as good a player i think he was stressed out about the contract i think he was trying to make plays when he really should have played within himself maybe a little bit more and i think he would admit that but he was a very good legitimate number one corner for them in 15 and for most of 16 
All right, there's your defense. Phil, run through the uh, offense, and let's start with the simple stuff on the offensive line. Uh, left tackle? Left tackle, you got to go Nate Solder. Nate Solder, um, Mr. Consistency in terms of just being out there, never one of the best players at his position, um, but he did sort of sniff, I think, top 10 status at his position uh, multiple years. If you go by the pro football focus grades and those guys are watching offensive line, in all honesty, much more closely across the league than I am. Um, but was the eighth ranked left tackle in the league in 2016, won a Super Bowl. Uh, he was 11th uh, when he took on that role in 2012. You'll remember he played a lot of right tackle in 2011. Matt Light was still here. They went to a Super Bowl that year. So just a very solid, steady player where I think people can appreciate now after seeing for eight games what it looked like when you had to get a guy off the street and have a replacement player there, what that looks like. Solder was solid. And they're really, I mean, no real other option there. You're not going to mm-hmm. put Trent Brown after one season no. there. Matt Light was obviously very good, but he only had two seasons at left tackle this decade. So the choice there is Solder. Let's stick on the uh, the offensive line and go left guard because this actually was a sneaky, difficult choice for me. If you guys are avid listeners of the podcast, you already heard our Pro Bowl discussion from a previous episode who was snubbed, who made it, who was snubbed. I said Joe Tooney was my number one snub, and he almost, he damn near, Tom, made the all-decade team for he, the Patriots at left guard. He was outshot by? Logan Mankins. Okay. Logan Mankins was a first-team All-Pro in 2010. He made the Pro Bowl every year from 2010 to 2013, uh, and then he ends up getting shipped off to Tampa Bay right before the 2014 season. Tom Brady is devastated. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the team is devastated because remember, he remember was a Mayo, quiet leader. Mayo would talk about how just absolutely rocked the team People were beside players. themselves. People were in tears to see Logan Mankins go. Uh, one of the toughest guys in team history, uh, one of the best offensive linemen in team history, and one of the coolest fun facts about Logan Mankins and it did happen in this decade and so it helps his candidacy in this discussion uh, played the entire 2011 season with a torn ACL tore his ACL week one of 2011 and continued to play and made the Pro Bowl that year and they went to the Super Bowl so uh, Logan Mankins is your left guard center Phil centers David Andrews has to be has to be can't be Brian Stork Brian Stork had a fine year 2014 they won a Super Bowl with him there as a rookie Um, but you'll remember David Andrews filled in for most of the first half and more of the 2015 season at center with Stork injured. The entire line was injured that year. Played great. Undrafted rookie out of Georgia. Shouldn't have been there. Small, but smart as hell. And I think right there with Malcolm Butler as one of the best undrafted rookie signings of the Belichick era. In the NFL over that time, I would even say, too, right guard. Right guard is Shaq Mason. Uh, This one, again, not a ton of competition, in my opinion. You had Dan Connolly slash Ryan Wendell. You could have gone with one of those guys. Much better uh, kickoff return. Yeah, Shaq Mason needs to pick up that return game, but uh, still made it somehow, so good for him. Um, Just phenomenal athlete and part of some huge wins here in New England, obviously, 2016. I think what they have done along the offensive line is they have really prioritized athleticism. The mauler types mm-hmm. are there occasionally. Trent Brown was a, was a bit of a mauler, but was also a great athlete. It just allows them to do so much hurry up screen game, um, getting linemen out in space uh, in matchups with linebackers and DBs. And, and Shaq Mason is sort of the epitome of that. Bill Belichick once called him, this was a couple of years ago, 
quote, probably one of the most athletic players, one of the most athletic offensive linemen I've coached. Very high praise. And this is another guy you want to talk about pro football focus rankings. Mm-hmm. Top 10 guard, right guard, um, the last three years. He was seventh in 2016, fourth in 2017, and third in 2018, according to PFF grades. And then at right, right. tackle, Sebastian Vollmer. Tough one. Mar- Maybe, Marcus, yeah. Marcus Cannon uh, has come on strong in the last three years. Totally capable. I think he's had a bit of a down year this year. I think he's dealt with a lot between illness and injury. But Sebastian Vollmer was so good when he was healthy. I mean, he missed a lot of time in 2011 and 2013. And in 2015, he was all kinds of banged up and played left tackle after Solder tore his bicep. And that was a mess of a year. But he was a second team all pro in 2010, his first year as a starter at right tackle. And then was fifth according to PFF in 2012 and third in 2014 at right tackle. So one of the best at his position, not the premium position left tackle is per se, but you still face a lot of good pass rushers on that right side. And he did guys like Von Miller. Von Miller is basically an exclusively right side of the offensive line pass rusher. And Sebastian Vollmer held his own against those types uh, for a long time here in New England. So he's the right tackle of choice. All right. Now let's go on to tight end. Not a lot of debate. Not a lot of debate there, but, Will you um, uh, just sort of entertain me um, on this discussion? Um, because I obviously he's the best tight end for the Patriots last decade. He's the best tight end in the NFL the last decade. You could make the argument, Tom, and I tried, that maybe he is the most efficient pass catcher of the decade. Mm. Most efficient, not necessarily most mean? productive. I'll tell you what it means. So in terms of the traditional stats, he's not necessarily in the top 10 among pass catchers, but still super impressive for a tight end. 12th in receiving yards since 2010, 15th in yards per reception, uh, and 21st in receptions, period. So he's behind Julio Jones and Calvin Johnson and all those guys when those categories come up. But even after missing this entire season, he retired. He has more receiving touchdowns than anyone this decade. That's amazing. Anybody. He's also third in yards per target, so different than yards per catch. Yards per target, so that's a that's a very good marker of efficiency. 9.9 yards per target uh, among pass catchers with at least 70 games played. So Tyler Lockett is ahead of him, surprisingly to me. Not to you. You love Tyler Lockett mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at 10.15. And Deshaun Jackson is ahead of Gronk as well at 10.06. But that is those are two speed demon tiny little receivers who do nothing but, you know, go down the field, catch the deep ball. And Rob Gronkowski, who does a million other things, is right behind them in terms of yards per target. Everything he did as a blocker, you could make the argument, even if you don't want to say he's one of the most efficient pass catchers, you could make the argument he has been the most valuable non-quarterback of the decade, I think. I like that fact. So, uh, obviously, he makes this list. Quarterback? Quarterback's going to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady, uh, who has an argument as the best quarterback of the decade. We always look at his statistics. So, so when, so when you say that, Mm -hmm. um, statistically, we could make that debate. I think that, I think that people would base it on, of course, he's been the best quarterback of the decade based upon the games and the eye test and the high leverage situations and the comebacks against Seattle and, Atlanta and Baltimore and the games are clearly a big part of it. Right. But you get some other measures you want to get into. Yeah. Well, listen, he's, he's won more games than anybody. And I'm not a big proponent of the QB wins stat because so much more goes into it, but he has way more wins than anybody in the last decade. Regular season wins at 121. 
He's thrown more touchdowns than anyone outside of Drew Brees, so more than Aaron Rodgers, uh, more than Phillip Rivers, any of these prolific guys that, that have played the last decade, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he's thrown fewer interceptions than anyone who has played every year the last decade outside of Aaron Rodgers, who does a great job of taking care of the football. So he's he's second in terms of interceptions. Couple, couple he's second guys in who are touchdowns. Real good at throwing it away too. Great at throwing. I mean, and, and I think Aaron Rodgers probably does it a little bit too much. Um, and he's the only behind Aaron Rodgers in terms of picks. His rating, quarterback rating, is fourth behind Rodgers, who is arguably the most efficient quarterback of the last, you know, maybe of all time. Brady told me that a couple of years ago. If you really look at the numbers, he's nobody's more efficient than Aaron. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, uh, and then obviously, you know, nobody has three Super Bowls, nobody has two Super Bowl MVPs. Both right now, if you were to cut it off right now, Drew Brees. Um, although Drew Brees. No, you don't have to cut it off. Drew Brees just made the Pro Bowl and Brady didn't. So they both have nine Pro Bowl selections each, mm. whatever. Um, Brady and Aaron Rodgers are the only two quarterbacks with two first-team All-Pro selections this decade. So, Interesting. So he Brady is, was the first unanimous MVP in NFL history in 2010. Right. Which also underscores just how good he was. And he's played 2011, 12, 13, 14... 15, 16, 17, and 18 <laughs> AFC championship games. It's unreal. And I th- I think 2016, I mean, 2010, a phenomenal year this decade. I think 2016 and 2017, you'd be hard-pressed to find two better back-to-back seasons played by a quarterback, amazing period. Too? And, and then we have the discussion as it's ongoing and incessant on our airwaves and also radio airwaves, but how he has hit the cliff, the cliff, the cliff. <laughs> well, this year obviously has been a tough one for well, no, him, no. but you look but, at I the mean, decade and it's like, wow. But that's what I'm talking about is this isn't shit that he did in 13, 14, and 15. These oh, were performances he put out in 2016 and 17. And then last year, again, with, hey, let's bring in Josh Gordon because we started the season with, Cordero, Patterson, Philip Dorsett, and Chris Hogan as the receivers. And the next thing you know, they're bringing in Josh Gordon, and everything is linked this year to offensive line and receiver, uh, offensive line, tight end, everything. Anyway, I'm off on a that That's okay. Riff, that riff That's okay. On. Wide receiver is going to be fascinating. Before we get to that, hit me on the running backs. Running back, you're getting one. I'm going 11 personnel for this offense. Okay. So, uh, you know, I had the choice of maybe taking two backs, maybe adding uh, James Devlin, the fullback. So but you I went, went with LeGarrette Blunt. I went with James White. Oh, James well, we're White. We're going to go no huddle. This is going to be the no huddle offense that Tom Brady would die for. When you look at the receivers involved here in a minute, but running back, in this I think is a good choice, and I pat myself on the back because this is of this decade. What has happened in the NFL in this decade? The pass game really, more than ever before, has become king. And pass-catching backs are more valuable than ever before. They play more than ever before. They produce more than ever before. And James White is the epitome of where offensive football has gone. This is not a guy you want to run between the tackles all that frequently. Nope. But... You need a two-minute drive to win a football game. You want to throw to him 15 times or however many he targets he had in that Super Bowl against the Falcons a couple of years ago where he had a borderline MVP performance. That's your guy. There are 25 backs, Tom, who have had 300 targets since 2010. White is among the best of that group. 
So of the last decade, you could make the argument that he is top five pass catching back in football. Never mm-hmm. mind with the Patriots. Sixth in targets, sixth in yards, fourth in yards per game receiving wise. And he's tied with Darren Sproles in terms of receiving touchdowns among running backs. He with got that hosed, many targets. He got hosed for the Pro Bowl last year, I'll say. Uh, I would agree with that. Unbelievable in terms of protecting the football, has not fum- has not lost a fumble in the regular season, um, and plays every single game. Has played, uh, never played fewer than 14 games since uh, his basically redshirt rookie season in 14. So um, beat have- out Deion Lewis, beat out Danny Woodhead, LeGarrette Blunt. I, I think it's a pretty easy choice, James. We White have there. room left for three. You do. Count them, three receivers. You do. So Julian Edelman's one. Yep. Super Bowl MVP. 1,000 yards three times, over 6,000 receiving yards this decade, more than anyone for the Patriots, not named Rob Gronkowski. Uh, he's a lock. Number two, Wes Welker. Wes Welker. Uh, this isn't a lifetime achievement honor, and I think people will look at it and say, well, wait a minute. Welker was phenomenal in like 07, 08, yeah. 09. But look at what he Ladies did. Ladies and gentlemen, he was pretty vital. He was He was damn good in 10, 11, and 12. Those were the three years he played this decade. Um, all pro, or sorry, not all pro, Pro Bowl, uh, all three years, eclipsed 1,000 yards two times, and both times it was by a freaking mile. Had 122 catches in 2011 <laughs> and almost 1,600 yards. 13 yards per catch that year. That's not, you know, people think of him as, the, you know, a little dink and dunk guy, and he was, but 13 yards per catch because he was so good after the catch, so quick. Did so much for that team. 2012 followed that uh, great 11-year up with an almost equally good year, 118 catches for almost 1,400 yards. Uh, and then 2010 was a down year by his standards, but that's because he tore his ACL at the end of 2009, still came back and played 15 games and had 800-some-odd yards with 86 catches. So mm, he's here, too. He came back too quickly. I mean, not too quickly, but he certainly paid the price. With drops, too, in Wasn't addition himself. to la- lack of explosion. So we're going to kick Edelman outside then. Going to have to. And Welker's going to be your slot. Now, for this last wide receiver position in the Patriots all-decade team, you've got Brandon Lloyd's hanging out there. Brandon Cooks is hanging out there. Brandon LaFell is hanging out there. A lot of Brandon's Brandon hanging Bass out. Bass is hanging out there. Brandon Meebane is hanging out there. Somebody branded me. Another Brandon. Brandon, Brandon from uh, 90210. Brevin Knight is hanging out there. Brevin Knight, interesting. I'm not sure how that popped up. His name's not Brandon. We got more Brandons. There's a Brandon. Is Brandon there a Brandon Mitchell's Knight? Mitchell's hanging out there. Former Patriot, mm. uh, second round pickup. Brandon Bolden. Brandon Bolden's hanging out there. He's not a receiver, but. So did you go with one of the Brandons? No, did not. I went with a Danny. I went Danny. Danny Ammon Dola. So now you have three slot receivers, and so way to go, Phil, in terms oh. of your roster building. A little, re- little bit of redundancy there, uh, to sounds, say the least. This is quite interesting. Thank you. I agree. I felt like Danny Amendola was the only choice. You can't put Brandon Cooks on an all-decade team after one season. Okay. You can't do it. I'm sorry. He had a great year in 2017, but you just can't do it. You can't put Brandon LaFell on there after two years both solid years and helping the team win a Super Bowl in 2014. But I think when you look at Danny Amendola's playoff performance that year in 14, you could say he was at least as important to that playoff run, if not as productive during that regular season, at least as important to that playoff run, if not more so 
than LaFell in 14. And then you can't tell. And I know, like, we have told the story of the 2016 season in that Super Bowl, Tom. You can't tell it without Danny Amendola. Nope. You just can't. And then, oh, by the way, he's one of their best offensive players in 2017 when Julian Edelman is out for the I year. Mean, he was, and he is lighting it up against the Jaguars they, in the AFC Championship game and then in the Super Bowl. Not only in that game, but if you look at the dirty details of the 2017 season when the Patriots did bog down offensively, he was a third down and long monster. I mean, he was as dependable, resourceful, and able to just appear at the end of a play about to go bad as anyone. Witness the 2016 catch when the Patriots were on the cusp of a loss in Arizona under Jimmy Garoppolo. And down the field available comes Danny Hamandola for Jimmy Garoppolo, who takes a thunderous hit but completes it for the first time. That was a great game. Great I wonder if voice. that's one of your significant wins of the decade. Uh, it might be. Yeah, it ain't. The Arizona game? No, it's not. Yeah, all right. Good so game, I like the Indiana Mandola. Okay. And boy, good. did it take a little while for him to get immersed in the in the Patriots' way of doing things. Boy, well, 13, he started that season. I believe he ripped the, Both groins. the groin muscle off the bone in, Both in week one. Both of them. Both. Yep, he shot up at halftime, came out and ripped it off the other one. Um, that's so, like, okay, kids out there, let's hydrate. Yeah, meat and flaps. And let's, let's make sure. Meat flaps. <laughs> oh, all for for weeks. And then he comes back, <laughs> and he gets concussed against the uh, New Orleans Saints. So Man, he ain't doing dick. He had a reputation, too, of being so banged up that he knew he couldn't <laughs> miss time. He signed a big contract. He was supposed to be Wes Welker's replacement. Thank God for the Patriots. Edelman became a star that year in 13. But... Amendola was supposed to be the guy replacing Welker. Sick catch in the Super Bowl in 2000. Sick catch, dude, in the Super Bowl in 2014 um, to put the Patriots within 24-21. Just a fucking great player. God, I like that Bill Belichick called him the definition of of a football player, I'm pretty sure, after, I think it was after that AFC Championship game. He pulled out the old line of, you know, if you've turned a football player in the dictionary, there's a picture of Danny Amendola right there next to him. You look at you look at some of the damage that a player and look, the Patriots couldn't go and spend twelve million dollars over two years on Danny Amendola with a straight face. In hindsight, maybe they should have, considering the areas that they have just whipped it out and pissed away the money elsewhere. You're talking about when he was a free agent yep, after free 2017. Agent, yeah. I mean, and he goes to Miami and leads that team in receptions. Yeah, it was a shit team, but boy, I'm working blue here at the end, aren't I, John? Sure are. Um, the holiday oh. season. <laughs> Hoop de doo and dickery dock. And don't forget to whip out your. Hey, all right, let's move on. Um, to Danny Amendola. You can't ante up that kind of money for a guy like that, but. When you talk about tear screens and those little just throws to the sideline where he would burrow and like disappear under the turf, run through legs and pop out in the end zone diving for the pylon, who's going to do that now? You don't have that guy. And that was a key play in their playbook. Run the burrow play. And he would burrow. So I miss that guy. Two point con- big two-point conversion in 2016 on that kind of play. And that- Shit, yeah. Sorry, I did it again, John. John Henry, of course, is the skull crusher. He is our point guard um, today and running things for us. He is our podcast director. And uh, 
I just got to added a lot of work for him here at the end of the pod. Because I know that we don't always edit stuff out. But I think that the upside of it, I'm going to be candid here at the end. This is an editorial decision and discussion, folks, that we're going to put in. I get so many people who complain about the swearing because their kids are in the car. Even people who are are um, big fans and they're not easily offended. Like, yeah, we just don't expect it. It just comes out of nowhere. And it pops up on us. And we would rather that you didn't do that. So should we take those out? I think we probably should. I used to swear like a, a mother scratcher on these things. What do you mean used to? Like two minutes ago? No, but I mean like with mayo. Why are you going to say that? Right. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to work on a new laugh for 2022. Uh, so oh, the boy with no laugh. The journey point. continues. That's <laughs> uh, my so laugh sad. for next decade. Mm, that's my brother so used sad. to do to me because like every laugh that I had, uh, Mike Current Snake, the Irish Torpedo on Twitter, you can find him. Um, he'd say, that's not your real laugh. That's a fake laugh. That's a fake laugh. So then he made me self-conscious about my laugh to the point where I, I didn't know how to laugh accurately. And whatever I said, he, that's a fake laugh. Do you even have a laugh? You don't have a laugh. Oh, that's so sad. The boy without a laugh. And then he'd tell all his friends that I was the boy without a laugh. And they go, oh, it's, it's Tom. Tom. He's an older brother, as you can tell. And uh, his friends were more fun in several instances than my friends. And he was two and a half years older, so I'd like to hang with them. And uh, is Tom, T-A-U-M, Tom, Tom, T-A-U-M, Tom, Tom. Tag along Tom. It was called Tat for a while. Wow. Um, that, was a, that was a good era for nicknames, I think. People don't give nicknames the way they used to well, these days. Oh, my God. I mean, you'd end up being brought up on charges if you tortured Tom the way I was tortured by Snake and his buddies. So The Boy With No Laugh, the Tom Curran story, that's going to be the title of your memoir, which maybe we could do an audio version for the podcast. I'd like that. That would be fun. <laughs> I don't think that's the one. That's not the one. Oh, that's boy. not going to be the last one. Boy, we're having fun. All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody.